the one and only Trevor Maddich. Trev, what's going on, my friend? TC, man, I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're good. We're good. Okay, as you know, um, we've got uh, you know news here in Las Vegas today. The joint press conference held uh, at the Raiders facility today with um, Mark Davis announcing that uh, Tom Telasco, the former general manager of the Chargers, who had a long stint also with the Colts, one of your former teams uh, back in the day, 29 years in this league, uh, is the new general manager of the Las Vegas Raiders. He becomes the fifth general manager in Raiders history, which isn't Many general managers, is it, Trev, when you think about it, when Al Davis pretty much controlled all of that. But a lot of people look at that and say, what? The Raiders only had five GMs? Well, that, that, that's true. So, uh, he's named general manager. Then you have Antonio Pierce, uh, formally introduced today as well as the official, uh, head coach of the Raiders. So it was a joint press conference. They both, uh, were there today. I'm very curious, um, about your take about, um, this combination. You know, I think when you've got an experienced general manager to go with a, a first-time young head coach, you've got a good thing there. And and everything I've been able to gather from Mark Davis is that he wants the GM to have the final say in personnel decisions. So we'll see what you know what how things turn out from that standpoint. But I think that would be important because when you look at a a young head coach in college, it, it's difficult for them when they're coaching at a high-level program. Because in college, the head coach has his hands in every single thing, on the field and off the field. In the NFL, you've got the the GM and to, and the, to pick players, if that's the way it's set up. You've got the scouting department to do the lion's share of the scouting. You've got them for college scouting. You've got another part of the scouting department that does nothing but scout NFL players in case they become free agents or they get cut. There's all kinds of things that happen in support of a young head coach on the NFL level that takes a lot off of his plate so he can focus from his office down through the locker room for the most part. So I think that's a good thing. I think they're gonna, it's going to be very important who they choose as an offensive coordinator because when you look at, at the way head coaching jobs have happened recently, I think sort of the template is to go with an offensive guy. You've got Kyle Shanahan, of course, over at – the 49ers, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay, Sean McVay at the Rams, and others. The Titans just hired uh, Ryan Callahan, the offensive coordinator, of, former offensive coordinator of, of the Bengals. And the reason they've done that, T.C., in part, is because the hardest position in the NFL uh, to play well is, of course, quarterback. And when you've got a young quarterback, if you've got an offensive coordinator who excels, it's quite likely that somebody's going to snatch him up and make him a head coach, and now you've got a new offensive coordinator coming in. And how much of a change in the system, in the terminology, in the things that young quarterback is asked to do from a, a standpoint of the nuances that he needs to know in order to succeed at that position. And those things rotate and they change. And very famously, some of the you know, some of the highest profile quarterbacks in the league have rotated offensive coordinators in recent years, and that's, that's just not a good thing. And so from a standpoint of uh, having a head coach who's an offensive guy so that when the offensive coordinators go off to become head coaches somewhere else, the offense remains largely the same, that's not something that the Raiders are going to have access to because Antonio Pierce is a defensive guy. So bringing in the offensive staff and 
making sure that they can retain those guys so that whoever's playing quarterback for the Raiders can have years with the same system, years with the same terminology, years with the same guys. That's going to be a very important part of the development of this team under Antonio Pierce. No, you're right. And I think, you know, a lot of Raider fans don't like to hear and they don't actually are thinking that, you know, this is a, a rebuild project, but it really is. When you have a rookie head coach and again, you just have blown up the entire staff and now you're talking about, you know, the front office, you're hiring a new general manager. There is so many moving parts here that both guys, I mean, have to dive in here. I mean, you know, from a coaching staff, I mean, you know, Antonio Pierce is going to, you know, want to bring in his own, his own guys. I'm sure about that. Cause remember he was just part of the Josh McDaniel staff and, uh, you know, they weren't happy with Bo Hardegree, who was the quarterback coach, got elevated offensive coordinator. So they've got to work on that element. And then, you know, the defensive side of the ball, you're not sure how many people are going to retain with that. And as you you know, as a head coach, you know you want to have your your imprint and your voice uh, on everything there. And everybody, not one person had any real ties to Antonio Pierce. I mean, he was a linebacker coach. He jumps over the defensive coordinator to be the interim head coach, and now he's got to be in charge of both sides of the ball and hiring that staff. Now, I'm sure Telasco, you know, will be involved obviously heavily with okay selecting that staff, and now he's got to. You know, do his own staff. I mean, he's got to look at the scouting department. He's got to say, okay, let me look at these guys. Um, because, you know, he knows nothing about this organization. Just because he was in the division, it's totally different, you know, knowing your personnel and looking, to, you know, across the sideline and you think, you know, the other team's personnel. It's going to take him a, a lot of time and effort to construct a staff. So you're talking about a major overhaul here. You know, on the field, in that locker room, and upstairs as well. Yeah, and I like Antonio Pierce, but I think Telasco is going to have to carry a lot of water for him when it comes to putting together that coaching staff because Antonio Pierce has not been in the league from a coaching standpoint that long. I mean, he can't have right. a really, you know, well stocked Rolodex of guys that he knows, that he's coached with in the past, that he can draw from as potential guys that he wants to bring in. I mean, he's kind of learning new guys himself. And I think Telasco will help because of his experience. And that's, that's a very important thing because the, 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 not the continuity, but the, the choreography of the coaching staff is very important. I mean, how well they work together. And a lot of times you, you go to the well, you go to the Rolodex of guys that you've coached with in the past. Well, Pierce, that's not something that he can really draw from. Now, what he does draw from is that locker room. Right now, I mean, they, the, the players, by all account, are very happy that he's the guy. You know, a lot of players in that locker room were vocal that they wanted him to be elevated to the head coach. And that's good because those players then take ownership. But keep this in mind, too, that when a new general manager comes in, and a new head coach, but it's a little bit different in this case, because I think, I think Pierce has a good relationship with the locker room already. But when a new general manager comes in, he tells the team, what a family they're going to be. But what he's really thinking is, you guys got the last GM fired. That includes you coaches. And you're not going to get me fired. I'm going to bring in my guys. And if I get fired at some point, it's going to be because of my choices, not the choices of the previous GM that got him fired kind of a thing. 
So for all the goodwill that Pierce has in the locker room, and he does have it, that you can expect there to be a fair amount of turnover and a bunch of new guys coming in and a new culture that will have to be built. Now, the guys that will remain are guys that will teach the new guys what they love about Antonio Pierce. So I think that that'll really help. But I guess in saying this, for Raiders fans looking at it, there's a lot of excitement when you've got new blood coming in. But at the same time, there's more unknowns with this team than there are knowns. And it's going to take a while to get this thing built up. Well said. Trevor Mass joins us. All right, Trev, uh, we look forward to the championship uh, Sunday coming up here. Kansas City, Baltimore, Detroit, and SF. Uh, let's let's talk about this, this uh, weekend here. And how much of a surprise are the Detroit Lions to you as they get ready to take on the San Francisco 49ers? They are a huge surprise. I mean, historically, they're just awful. I mean, historically, they've never been to a Super Bowl in the in the uh, Super Bowl era. Just have never been. As a matter of fact, what they haven't won a um, uh, a home playoff game uh, since what 1957, or it's been yeah. forever. And so, you know, fans. Detroit fans, I mean, you have got to give them more credit than anything for sticking with this team and loving this team for so many years of ineptitude. And they've had good head coaches. They've had really good players. I mean, Barry Sanders, you know, they've had, I mean, Lois Brown is calling, who's uh, calling their games now. He's uh, offensive tackle for them. They've had great players there. Megatron, for goodness sake. Uh, Calvin Johnson, a wide receiver. Great players. They've had good head coaches. They've rotated through GMs, and they still haven't been able to bust the grape in the playoffs uh, when they get there, which is rare. And so this is, for the fans, just absolutely wonderful, and I'm super excited for them. I played one year in Detroit. It was kind of a way for me to get out of New England uh, and uh, and transition to the rest of my career and restart it. So there's stories there. But that was Barry Sanders' rookie year. And I was playing uh, short yardage tight end, a short yardage goal line tight end for them. So I was on the field for a fair amount of, of Barry's touchdowns. And I'll tell you, the, the fans for Detroit were second to none. They were just phenomenal. And I'm so happy for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, what kind of shot do you give them going on the road to San Francisco, who wasn't overly impressive last week in their victory over the Packers? Tough. Tough for them. Uh, this is a team who's built basically on offense and stopping the run. And on offense, it's built on explosive speed, not just a wide receiver, but also at running back. And when you're indoors on carpet, man, you can get everything out of that. They haven't been on the road since week 14, I think, and they ended up scoring like 13 points at Chicago right. uh, on grass. Well, no, I haven't been on the road, but they haven't played outdoors on grass. And so now they're going to play outdoors, um, you know, on the road in Santa Clara against the 49ers. And so that, that goes against them. Uh, when you look at other matchups, uh, it's, it's kind of weird because the 49ers on defense, uh, they excel at, at limiting deep passes, but it's kind of strange that the Lions, for all their passing game is done, they don't really throw the ball deep down the field all that much. So it's going to be a different kind of a battle. I'm, I'm thinking that Detroit will try to exploit the run. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the league. They've got a two-headed uh, monster at running back in David Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs. And we're not talking just run the ball, but we're talking out of the backfield as well. Gibbs at Alabama was absolutely phenomenal as a receiver 
as a running back, and he is now with Detroit. And so the 49ers defense, teams that can run, have been able to run the ball pretty well against them. And so I expect this to be uh, kind of an old-school foundation for the Lions offense to try to try to pound the ball. Uh, and so uh, that's what I expect for the Lions. On the, on the other side, the 49ers, the big question is Debo Samuel. Uh, you know, they're a hybrid wide receiver running back. He just does everything, and he's got a hurt shoulder. And he went out in the first quarter last week against the Packers, and the 49ers offense struggled. Now, give the Packers' defense credit. They've played well in the playoffs. But at the same time, you would expect 49ers to, to have done a lot better. And how much of that was the fact that they didn't have Samuel available? How much of that might be that they expected to run a lot of the game plan through Samuel? And when he wasn't there, they had to go to plan B, and they weren't really as ready for that as maybe they should have been. I don't, I don't know. But I do know that the, um, the 49ers and Samuel will be a big part of it. Then when you look at the 49, or excuse me, the, the Lions defense, they've been good against the run, but how much of that is because they're that good against the run and that, or that teams are just throwing the ball against the Lions also remains to be seen because the Lions secondary has just been gouged, just absolutely gouged. And so the 49ers, you know, they'll, they'll run the ball because that's part of Shanahan's, you know, head coach Kyle Shanahan. That's part of his DNA. He wants to establish the run. And for goodness sake, yes, Christian McCaffrey at running back, but he's going to be tempted to throw the ball a lot more than he runs it because this secondary of Detroit has just been lit up. Now they, they did a good job in limiting Tampa last week. But this is a 49ers offense that has a lot more weapons coming from a lot more places. And I just see with Shanahan calling the plays and game planning for it, the, the key for the Lions to win this thing at all is going to be to make sure that the short passing plays and medium passing plays do not turn into long touchdowns because yards after the catch in that secondary is going to be absolutely critical to limit. You know, Trev, we... T- when you talk about Brock Purdy, you know, he's the, you know, we, we got four quarterbacks in this round here. Three are first round picks. And then you have the guy that was picked last in this draft. And, you know, Purdy has looked good. Okay. In his time in San Francisco and, you know, felt bad because he got injured in that game against Philadelphia last year at this stage. And then now you've got, you know, the Niners one game away from going to the Super Bowl. They're at home. And Purdy did not look really good against the Packers. I mean, he was short on balls. He was tentative. Didn't look like he had a, a whole bunch of confidence. Now, again, you lose Debo Samuel. That hurt them. Probably he will not play this weekend. He didn't practice, you know, today. Debo Samuel didn't. So there's a lot of question marks here. And I, you said something there about the Lions, you know, with that secondary. It's like, this could be a spot where Purdy can maybe get away with some of the mistakes he made last week against that Lions secondary. But how do you think he fares in this game against the Lions? I kind of get the impression that Coach Shanahan will kind of rein him in a little bit because Purdy cannot win this game. Purdy can lose this game, but he can't win this game, in my opinion. He's going to have to just distribute and take what's there and let his skilled people do the work. If Purdy decides that he wants to show the world what a great quarterback he is and go back there and and put on display his fantastic arm, then he might end up being in some trouble. But I think he's smart enough to know 
that this 49ers offense has succeeded with him in part because he has not been Mr. Joe Playmaker. He's been Mr. Joe Distributor and Mr. Joe Protect the Ball. And you're right, against Green Bay, he didn't perform well, even though Samuel was out for, you know, three plus quarters. But at the same time, he did have that last drive uh, at the end to win the game. You know, he had a a late touchdown drive that was critical for their team. And so I think that Purdy, I'm still not sold on him as being a, a, a franchise quarterback as being a top-tier guy, even though he's got all the accolades, even though his numbers are very, very good. He also has a defense that keeps him from having to do too much, and it's tough on quarterbacks when the other side knows that you have to throw. When you're in desperation mode and most of your playbook is out the window and you've just got to drop back and try to make something happen, well, that's tough on quarterbacks, and that doesn't happen to Purdy all that much. Then you've got Curtis Samuel, who, or excuse me, um, Christian McCaffrey, who not just is one of the best running backs, if not the best running back in the league, he's also phenomenal coming out of the backfield. So he's a, a matchup nightmare, which makes any quarterback look better than they actually are just by knowing where he is to throw him the ball. Then you've got an offensive line led by a Hall of Famer left tackle in Trent Williams uh, and a tight end in Kittle who gets lost in the in the shuffle to Travis Kelsey because Kittle's not dating Taylor Swift, I guess. But Kittle is one of the best tight ends in the league. And these are security blankets for quarterbacks. And so you put all that together. I am not trying to take anything away from Purdy. It's just that I'm not yet convinced that if they're missing a lot of their weapons, if their offensive line is struggling, if it, if they're behind, if it's on Purdy to get it done, I'm I'm not convinced that he can go out there and be Patrick Mahomes and or be you know uh, um, Lamar Jackson and put the team on his shoulders and carry it. What he's shown is that he is outstanding at enabling all those other great players. And that probably will be good enough against the Lions. All right. All right. Let's talk about the uh, Chiefs and the Ravens. Marquee matchup, no doubt about it. Uh, who do you like in this one and why? Well, I like the Ravens um, because the Chiefs just have some holes. Um, as well as the receivers have played last week for the Chiefs, especially Rashi Rice uh, against Buffalo, they, he's a rookie. And he's going against the best defense in the league, certainly the best defense in the AFC. And I think that's going to be a place where it's going to be all on Mahomes, and it's going to be two guys for him to throw to, essentially. And that's Kelsey at tight end and the rookie Rice at wide receiver. And Baltimore has all kinds of ways to be able to slow that down. One of the great things when you watch Baltimore is that in the regular season, they were one of the top sacking teams in the league. But they didn't blitz very much. It looked like they were going to blitz all the time, though. They had guys up at the line, moving back and forth, threatening to blitz, and then they'd bail guys. Uh, and so they would end up stressing the quarterback's decision-making. They would stress the protection pre-snap, and then they'd bail guys out into coverage. And they were still able to get home and get a whole bunch of sacks. 
Well, whenever you start to think, well, they're just going to bail, that's when they do come. And all of a sudden the blitz gets there. And when they do blitz, they're very good at it and they get home. And so when you've got that Baltimore defense, they're not going to fool Mahomes. Mahomes is going to know what to do and where to go. The problem is that Rice is not going to know what he's looking at. I'm sorry. Wide receiver is one of the toughest positions to be, uh, to excel at as a rookie because the defenses you face are a lot more complex than you ever do in college. And Rice has really been coming on, especially late in the season. So good for him, but he's never seen anything quite like what he's going to face. Kelsey has, but that means that Baltimore needs to take care of Kelsey and keep an eye on Rice. And with their style of having extra guys back in the secondary to cover, I think they've got all kinds of ways to do that. Now it's a matter of just keeping Mahomes in the pocket. Don't let him break out and extend plays by eight or ten seconds, and you're good to go. So I think that's going to be a key part of the game. And then the other reason I like Baltimore is that is that they're just more intact. You know, they had the first round by. Uh, they're more rested. They they kind of had a romp against Houston last week. It wasn't a tough one down to the wire. And the Chiefs defense, which was second to Baltimore in, in points per game, I believe, this season, Chiefs defense has been phenomenal. But they got banged up against Buffalo. They had some guys leave the game. And that's going to be kind of important because Baltimore's offense is very physical. So the question is, how how will they stand up? to that kind of physical pounding. So these are some of the things I'm looking at in this game and part of the reason that right now I'm winning Baltimore. All right. All right. Great stuff, Trev. We appreciate the time as always. We'll look forward to talking with you on Friday and seeing which direction you go with uh, your best bet. Great. Appreciate it, DC. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. There is Trevor Match, one of the best, no question about it.